the reason Josh uh, was out of breath was downstairs, some of the computers and, and things were, were going crazy and, and not working. And so let me, just, let me do this. Let me just pray for us before we start. Father, we thank you for this sacred space. We thank you for this time in our week to come together, hear from you, from your word. And God, I just lift up this time. I, I, I know that um, even if our equipment didn't work, you would still be on your throne and that your work on the cross is finished, it's done, it's effective. And I know that even if all of our stuff was working fine, Lord, our hearts probably um, aren't. Um, and we come in here with lots of stuff going on. And, and so God, I just wanna pray for no distractions this morning, that you would help us to hear from your word and we pray that we would see Jesus and see him only. And in his name we pray, amen. Good morning. So I am uh, Brett Weston. For those of you that don't know me, I am the church planting resident, uh, one of the pastors here at Deer Creek, and, uh, which means my family is uh, hoping to plant a church alongside of all you all in the next couple years, which is really exciting, isn't it? I think it is. So, yes. Well, this morning, um, we're going to look at uh, John 21. But first, I want to tell you guys a story. So I went to Colorado State University. Anyone? No one? That's sad. Oh, nice. I love it. So I, I know Davina went to CSU. So CSU, so I was a senior, and like seniors do, typically we're talking about, hey, what's next? What are you going to do? And somehow it came up, the mission field came up. And some of us were talking, oh, I'm going to be a missionary. And we, kind of the next topic of conversation, well, where? Where are you going to go? I remember, I'm 20, 21, whatever, I said, I don't care where I go. I just want to go somewhere where I could die for my faith. And of course, that kind of electrified the room. Ooh, that's really, wow, that's really spiritual. That's really great. And so that was kind of me in, in my senior year. Well, then it came time for me to apply to be a missionary. That's a whole different thing than talking about being a missionary. And so I remember we, we uh, joined an organization and there was something like this 12-page application. We had to fill it out. And my wife and I are going through page after page after page. Have you done this recently? Have you thought this recently? Have you ever done this? And we're turning these pages like, oh man, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I don't know if God can really use me. So it was easy to talk in that room, but I sort of started to doubt now. Oh man, page after page. And so Aaron and I, we had to talk about a lot of things. We had to get a phone call from the, the missions agency and talk through things with them. It was horrible. <laughs> and uh, it really was. And I remember we, we went to, I think it was, it was Los Angeles Airport. So we were waiting at the airport with these four 70-pound duffel bags of all of our stuff to take to the mission field. And I remember standing there at that airport feeling like I had a 70-pound weight on my back of my own sin my own inadequacy, thinking, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I remember looking at some of the other missionaries and saying, I wonder what was on their application. I wonder if theirs was as bad as mine was. Uh, I wonder if they got a phone call from the missions agency like I did. I wonder how that ended up. See, we, I, I could talk big in that room. I could say, oh, Jesus, I'm going to go and die for you. But when it came time to apply, I was hit smack in the face with my own sin and my own ina inadequacy. And I imagine most of us in this room, some are, some have been, some of our partners that we support are called to overseas mission field. But I imagine most of us in this room are not. 
Aaron and I actually uh, may never be called long-term uh, to the foreign mission field again as we're called to serve here in Denver. But what I'll bet is true of most of us in this room is that we all have this hope to be used by God, that he would call us into something where we can make a difference as he is working in this world to reverse the effects of sin and death. I imagine that all of us want to know that we're part of that plan, God's plan of redemption. But here's what happens to us sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we sort of talk, we dream, and then this everyday rhythm of kids stuff and, you know, our planning and our vocations and our work, sometimes this everyday stuff, this, what seems so mundane, starts just kind of rolling on and on and on every day and we get caught up in it. And here's what we do. I do this. Sometimes we wait for God to change our situation so then he can use us. Okay, God, if you'll just change this about my situation, this about my job, then maybe you could use me. Sometimes we feel like I did going to the mission field. Sometimes we feel like, God, I've done so much wrong. I've made so many mistakes. So here's what you need to do. You need to clean me up and then you can use me. And you know what else we do is sometimes we just flat out look at the, the guy or girl next to us and say, God, why don't you use them? Because they're so much more qualified than I am. You know what? I'm just going to sort of continue on in this rhythm. Why don't you use them? So that's what we do, don't we? So for the next three weeks, uh, we're going to look at John 21 in the Bible, and we're going to answer this question that you see up on the screen. Can God really use me? And the, the, the me is capitalized because, you know, wherever you put the emphasis, can God really use me? That's kind, of a, that's kind of a different mindset. Can God really use me? And that's kind of what John 21 does for us. Am I, am I just the kind of person who's locked in this daily rhythm of just the mundane? Am I too sinful? Am I less qualified than the person next to me? So we're going to answer this question, can God really use me? So let's dive in. So, so here's what we need to do. So each week we're going to cover a little bit of John 21. But, but what we need to do today, so the background, the context of this, this chapter is so rich. There's so much in there that we have to do some background work. So you guys okay with doing some background work? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. I've never heard anyone so excited about background work. <laughs> so here's a little bit of background. You guys know this. So Jesus was arrested in the garden. Uh, by Roman soldiers. And when he was, uh, what did Peter do? Peter grabbed his sword, chopped off a guy's ear trying to protect Jesus. Jesus had to heal the guy. And then everybody pretty much took off. Everybody fled. Crazy thing, if you read one of the gospels, it says one guy actually lost his clothes and ran away naked. How'd you like to be that guy? Um, you know, applying to be a missionary later. Yeah, I kind of ran away from Jesus. Yeah, I was kind of naked. Um, <laughs> So all the, all, everybody, everybody abandons Jesus in his moment of need. Not, there's not one left. So then what happens is we see Peter and John following Jesus into the area of his first trial. So he sort of goes through this first trial with the high priest. John knows a few people. Um, we'll read this in a moment. They, they both get in there. So, so John has to get Peter in. But we see Peter and John following Jesus. So first they abandon him. Then they sort of follow him and are okay being close to him. So let's read John 18, 15 as we go into some background here. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did the other disciple. 
since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. We'll continue at verse 25. It says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, awkward, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. Now, in, Luke, in, in this account in Luke, it actually has a passage where it says, after he did this, after he denied Jesus three times, Jesus turns and looks him right in the eye. And then it says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Talk about a weight of just messing up. And you know, the, the, the hard thing is that would be the last time that Peter would look Jesus in the eye until the text we're going to read today, John 21. And what made this so stinging for Peter, this whole episode, was that as Jesus and the disciples were having the Last Supper in the upper room, you remember this? Peter talks to talk, doesn't he? Kind of like me in that dorm room. He says, hey, even if everyone else abandons you, Jesus, I will not, and I will go to the death with you. Ouch. And Jesus responded to him in the upper room saying, you know what, Peter? You're going to deny that you know me. Three times you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. And so after that, we don't, we don't really see Peter at Jesus' next trial. He actually goes on to more of a, the Roman trial. We don't see him there. We don't see him at the crucifixion. We see John there. We don't see Peter. We don't see Peter at Jesus' burial. He just kind of disappears from the text until John chapter 20 when he and John are running to the, to the tomb to verify the women's story that the tomb was empty. That's the last we see of him. So chapter 20 ends this way. And this, we'll talk about in a bit, was most likely the, uh, John's original ending to the book. So chapter 20 ends this way. It says this, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, I love that because I have twins, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. What a great ending, isn't it? 
You drop that big ancient stone microphone and just walk away. That's a great ending. You'd be done. Close the book, right? So most commentators agree that this was John's original ending in the book. And the great thing about the audience at that time, there was a whole generation of people that hadn't seen Jesus. They were only going off of John's testimony. So he ends the book. Hey, look what happened to Thomas. Blessed are you guys who haven't seen Jesus and yet believe in him. So why did John need to write more? Now, let me just say this. This epilogue, chapter 21, there's no manuscripts that we have without it. So we know it was written very early on. We know it was written by John. There's nothing here that's saying, oh, someone else wrote it. and it's, it didn't. No, John wrote it. He wrote it very quickly afterwards. But why did he need to write it? What a great ending, right? You'll have life in his name. Well, here's the reason. So when John was written, Christians were being ruthlessly persecuted for their faith during the reign of Emperor Domitian. So many, like Peter did, were denying their faith just to stay alive. So you can guess what happened when the persecution died down a little bit. Now they're saying, hey, can, can we come fellowship with you guys again? Can we come be part of the church again? The church was saying no. You can't come back. You had your chance to glorify God. You had your chance. You were called. You were called to do something, to be a witness, and you blew it. And so they were saying no. You can't come back. Now, how many of us, I know I would not be welcome back in the fellowship because I've blown it so many times. So many times. So the question remained for this community, how did Peter the denier of John 18 through 20 become the Peter who later leads the church? Because by this time, Peter had already been crucified. Why did Jesus accept Peter back? And so the next logical question is, if Jesus accepted Peter back, do you think Jesus could accept me back even though I denied him? So it was up to the last remaining eyewitness to tell them what had happened to Peter. And that's what he's going to do. How many of you have seen a Disney Pixar movie? I know Josh Burns has. Um, I see that hand. Yes. Um, well, if you've seen it, uh, you know, Toy Story, Inside Out, help me, help me out here. Finding Nemo. Monsters, Inc. Okay, so if you've seen these movies, what do you know to do? If you've seen them enough times, what do you know not to do? You never turn that thing off when the credits roll. Because you know there's going to be more. And sometimes the little epilogue at the end is going to be even better than the movie. It's going to be funnier. It's just going to sort of, sort of wrap things up. And so if you look in your Bibles, a lot of times chapter 21 is called uh, the epilogue. And so we can picture that. So John 20, he ends the book. Screen goes dark. You know, best boy, key grip, all that stuff. We don't know who those, what those people do. But if they're in the credits, they're really proud and they pause it. You know, I'm the key grip. So credits roll. Screen goes black. But then we hear the ocean. We hear the creaking of, of wooden fishing boats. We hear some seagulls. And we see seven guys on a beach. And we wonder wait a minute, we're back in the story. How do we get back in the story? What's going to happen to Peter? So let's read the text for today. We good with this background? Are we, are, we, are we worn out already? No, we're good? Okay. So now we're getting to our text. Aren't you glad I didn't say that like 35 minutes from now? All right, so let's read our text for the day. John 21, 
goes like this. We're going to split this. We're going to read um, the first uh, 14 verses, I believe. So we come back into the story and it says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Turn the page. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin. I can't get over the fact he was a twin, apparently. Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Some of people who aren't with us today said the same thing. (laughs) I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So verse 1 tells us that these disciples are by the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. What are these guys doing in Galilee? You know what they were doing there? Jesus told them to be there. And not only did he tell them to be there, but he said, if you go there, you will see me. I will be there too. Matthew 26, 31 through 35, on the night of his arrest, Jesus says, you will all fall away because of me this night. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. When the two women see the empty tomb in Matthew 28, two angels tell them in verse 7, Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Verses 8 and 9 go on to say, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Okay, Jesus, we get it. Pre-resurrection, Jesus is like, hey, go to Galilee, you'll see me. Post-resurrection, Jesus, go to Galilee, you'll see me. The angels are all like, hey, go to Galilee, he's going to be there, you'll see him. We get it. You'll see me, you'll see me, you'll see me. And the disciples, they go there, and they don't see him. He's not there. He's not, they don't see him. I'm not going to say he's not there, because we'll see that later on, but they don't see him. So seven guys, they all said, hey, Jesus, we're never going to leave you. They all leave him. He gets tried, crucified, dead, buried, rose again. And now they say, well, now we obeyed you. Now we're here. Now we listen. We showed up. And so they scan the water. They're scanning the beach. Nothing. 
I didn't say Jesus wasn't there, but they don't see him there. Do we feel like that sometimes? Man, God, I showed up. I'm reading your word. I'm, I'm counting on your promises. I'm obeying your commands. I showed up. Look, I may have messed up in the past, but not now. I'm doing it this time. So we feel like that sometimes. You see, with these guys, things were so good when Jesus was obviously physically present over the past three years. They had purpose, clarity, direction, mission, vision. If they want to know what, what God wants them to do that day, they would get up and they'd ask Jesus, hey, what are we going to do today? And he'd tell them. And they'd go do it. But that kind of came crashing down on, Friday, on a Friday. Jesus died. Saturday, there was mourning, there was lament. But Sunday, there was rejoicing. He's risen. People had seen him. So Jesus, and not only did they see him, but Jesus had a message. He says, I will meet you in Galilee. You're going to see me. It's going to be great. And they go and they don't see him. You know, sometimes we have this where we, we remember times in our life and we say, God, why can't it be like when I first came to Christ and everything was so clear and I knew how to grow and I knew what I was doing and I knew what your calling was. Why can't it be like when I was in college? Why can't I have faith like this person? And so we kind of do this. Peter's situation is like our situation so many times. So they don't see him there, so they do something very interesting. We got to pay attention here. Peter says, I'm going to fish. And the other six say, we're going to go with you. Now, a lot of the commentators, a lot of some of the, some of the talks that we hear, they'll say, this is where Peter went wrong. And this is why. They'll say he goes wrong here because he kind of just gives up and just goes back to his secular job. Jesus doesn't show up. He just kind of gives up and says, oh, I'm just going to go back fishing. But is that really where Peter goes wrong? I don't really think it is. There's so much going on here. But we do know this is, is at that time, for a guy like Peter, a Jewish guy at that time, there wasn't this secular sacred split that we do. This idea that what we do for God, that is the spiritual, the sacred stuff we do for God, that's our true calling. That's how God really uses us. And then there's this secular thing we do. That's what we have to do so that God can use us in this world in meaningful, holy ways. We feel like our secular work facilitates our spiritual work, and the spiritual work only is how God can use us. Does anybody feel that way about your job? But see, if you would have said that to Peter, these guys back then, they would have looked at you like you're a babbling idiot, like you guys are looking at me right now. <laughs> so the problem, was that, the problem wasn't that Peter returned to fishing. That was the good part. And that ties into one of our main points for today that I'll share in a moment. See, the Latin root voca is used both for the word vocation and the word calling. Well, that's interesting. So our vocation could be at least part of our calling. So here's what we need to understand. For those who belong to Christ, your vocation may not always include your whole calling from God. But we can be sure that your whole calling from God will always include your vocation. That is to say, your vocation may not include all of your calling from God. He may have other things for you to do outside of that, or he may redirect you. You know, when I got called to China was when I was 
a professional landscaper in Denver. He was cutting grass, talking to guys, and that's when he, he, he called me in China, redirected me. So your vocation may not include all of your calling from God. He may have other things for you to do outside of that. He may redirect us, but we can be sure that our calling from God, if we're a Christ follower, always includes our present vocation. Now, what do I mean by vocation? By vocation, I mean the role that we are about as a regular part of our working life. This means raising kids for stay-at-home moms, working for a company, working in your own business, going to school full-time, or the daily business of retirement. Maybe right now it's just looking for work. Your everyday role that you're about in your working life. So Peter... When he can't see Jesus, he's, dis- he's disoriented. He doesn't know what's going on because Jesus isn't as present as he used to be, as obviously present to orient Peter. When he can't see Jesus, Peter jumps right back into what he knows, the calling from God that he can be sure God wants him to do. Peter jumps back into this mundane, ordinary rhythm of life. Why? Because for Peter, it's this ordinary rhythm of life where Jesus shows up. Peter's fishing, and Jesus shows up. Peter's taking care of his sick mother-in-law, and Jesus shows up. Happens to him a lot. So Peter's a fisherman, the son of a fisherman, Scripture tells us, and it was while he was living out his vocation, his calling of being a fisherman, that he noticed Jesus for the very first time on the shore three years ago. Matthew 4, 18 through 20 tells us this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee... Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. In Luke chapter 5, Peter is engaged in his vocation again, and Jesus gets in his boat and tells Peter to follow him. Peter leaves the fishing business and follows Jesus. So it was while Peter was engaged in his everyday calling of being a fisherman that Jesus came and called him into something different for three years. So our primary calling as Christ followers will always be to be yoked to Christ in whatever we do, to follow him. But here's the thing. If we are in Christ, our calling of being yoked to Christ, how can that not include our everyday vocation if we do that with him as he's already working? So returning to fishing is not where Peter goes wrong. Well, where did he go wrong? We'll see in a moment. If we're wondering if God can use us, even as we are faithfully living out our vocation, we're asking the wrong question. See, sometimes we're disappointed with God for not always leading us in a clear way, aren't we? That can be so discouraging. God, just speak. Just tell me what I should do next. Tell me something big, something different, something miraculous. Where am I called? How are you going to use me? But if we're wondering if God can use us, even as we're faithfully living out the day-to-day, we're asking the wrong question. So we can be disappointed with God, but in some ways we're always going to be disappointed with God because he's not going to act like we want him to 100% of the time. And even when Jesus was incarnate, when he was physically present with these guys, he couldn't get everywhere at once. So he was always disappointing people. So at one point, uh, Aaron and I, we worked at the headquarters of our ministry, massive place, you know, big wigs running around doing important stuff. And we'd just come back off the mission field in China. And I started a new job. I was, I'm going to be training some people and all this. And 
I was talking with a, a, one of my professors in seminary, and uh, he, I said, how am I going to do this? How am I going to survive in this um, environment? He said, well, Brett, you just got to, you walk in those doors, you swipe your badge, doors swing open, you say, all right, who am I going to disappoint today? <laughs> it's like, thanks, Jim. That's, that's good advice. We kind of feel that way sometimes because God doesn't act how we want him to 100% of the time, so there's always going to be disappointment. And so sometimes this, I'm going out to fish, can be our cry of disappointment, that there isn't something more to our lives. What is this everyday stuff? Isn't there more? All right, I'm just, I'm going out to fish. I don't think Peter thought that way, but we think that way sometimes. I think that way. But see, here's the switch, and this is our main point for today. One of them, here's the switch. So many times we like to think that we are waiting on God to use us for something big and different, when in reality, God is waiting on us to notice how he is already using us in small and ordinary ways. And it's usually while we're engaged faithfully in the small and the ordinary that God calls us to the big and the different. So if we want to be called to the big and the different, we got to pay attention we got to be faithful in the everyday. That is to say, we shouldn't be asking, what would Jesus do? But what is Jesus already doing? Isn't that a different question? What is Jesus already doing? And then we join in with him in that. See, that's where Peter went wrong. Not that he just went fishing, but that he attempted to go fishing apart from Jesus because he thought Jesus wasn't there and Jesus wouldn't be there because of his sin. So that's where he goes wrong. See, we don't just imitate the life of Jesus. We participate in the life of Jesus. And since Christ is in us, we know that he's in all of our work, no matter what that is. And if we follow him faithfully long enough, he will lead us to join him in other places in need of a savior. So put those WWJD bracelets down the garbage disposal. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That would ruin your garbage disposal. Um, no, but honest, the heart behind him is good, right? If, if, you know, if you're in a situation, you know, how would Jesus treat others? Okay, as a reminder, I'm not going to you know, give somebody a, a gesture in traffic or something. What would you, that's helpful. But here's what it's not helpful for. If we're wondering, can God use me? Change that question to what is God doing around me in the ordinary and the extraordinary and how does he want me to jump into that with him? See, Jesus didn't manufacture HVAC systems, computer parts. Jesus didn't build roads. Jesus didn't watch kids all day. But Jesus is Jesus, the same today, yesterday, and forever. So rather than trying to ask what Jesus would do in XYZ situation, we can come before him and ask, where are you already working in the spheres that you've entrusted me with right now? And how can I join with you in that? So I guarantee that God is working in your vocation. I guarantee that. All we need to do is pay attention. God wants us to pay attention so he can use us and to speak to us right where we're at. So Peter doesn't go wrong by fishing. He goes wrong in these two ways of saying, hey, I'm going to go fish, but I know Jesus isn't here. And I know Jesus wouldn't want to be here because of my sin. So the text says they go out fishing. They fish all night and they catch nothing. 
Morning comes and Jesus is now on the beach. Now they don't know it's Jesus. We get that privilege. The reader gets that privilege. It's kind of cool. They notice a stranger on the beach. And at least now as they are going about this ordinary, this fishing, now they're paying attention, right? Because now they see somebody on the beach. They're not maybe paying as, as close of attention as they could. I don't know if Jesus was obscuring his identity. I don't know if they weren't paying attention. But at least they're sort of saying, hey, who's that guy? You know, it's a stranger. Now, the stranger is sort of tender with them at first. He says, children, do you have any fish? Now, the word that he uses here is not the typical word for fish. Ichthus, some of us have heard that word before. But, but he uses a different word, prosphagion. And prosphagion means a little relish or garnish that's made from scraps of fish that you eat with bread. See what he did there? I love it. Now, Jesus isn't a fisherman. He's a carpenter by trade, but he's hung around with fishermen long enough to insult them, like to know how to just get that godly, you know, righteous sort of jab in there. So he says this, he says, hey, no fish, boys? Ah, how about, how's about a little relish? You got any of that? Nope. Not even some relish. Tails, heads, nothing. We got nothing. I like a Jesus that can kind of make fun of his friends a little bit. I don't know if that's the Jesus of Scripture, but I kind of like that. Do you feel that way? Sometimes it's like I'm called to something so big, but I don't even, I don't even have scraps, Jesus. I don't even have heads and tails. I'm trying to make this big difference in your kingdom, and I've worked all night, which we just had a, a two-month-old. I, I can't remember if her picture uh, was up there. And we, Aaron, my wife is literally, oh, nice. This gratuitous baby picture is always nice. But um, so Paisley Joy Piper is two months. And Aaron literally is up all night. Um, she's not fishing. Believe me, she probably would want to be fishing. But she's working all night. And you wake up and you feel like, man, all I've got are these scraps. I don't have any fish. I don't even have anything to make relish out of for crying out loud. So here it comes. I love this. Jesus says, cast your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. They listen to his simple command and they are not able to handle the result of Jesus working. Isn't that great? Now, remember what we said earlier. Many times we think we are waiting on God to use us for something big or different when he is waiting on us to notice how he is already using us in the small, in the ordinary so many times we think we're waiting on God to work dramatically in our lives and in the lives of those around us when God's waiting on us to notice where he's working and put our nets down right there. It's not always about the out there. He's saying, notice, pay attention in the small and the ordinary and drop your nets right there and I will work and something amazing might happen. Doesn't always, right? Maybe. Maybe. So this kind of fishing that they would do is actually what they were doing is they were chasing whole schools of fish. So usually there'd be two boats or there'd be one boat and a guy in the shore who was the spotter and they'd be chasing around these big school of fish in the Sea of Galilee. So the crazy thing is, is these guys just kind of got in their boat and went out to fish with no spotter. So they're kind of trying to see a school of fish over here and they got to sort of chase it down. So it's kind of normal, but there's kind of this guy on the, on the shore now, even though they didn't go out with a spotter, I mean, come on. They should have been able to be in their boat and look down 
actually on the right side, look down and see the school of fish. They don't need a spotter. They should have seen it. So the stranger on the shore says, what you are looking for is right here. And that's what I want us to get about our calling. Man, we're faithful in the everyday, in our jobs, in our looking for work, in our school, in our retirement. And, 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 and yet we're kind of, God, how are you going to use me? Are you calling me yet? What do you want me to do? It's right there. You know, so I think it was uh, last week, a couple weeks ago. So I've been here at the church all day doing churchy, Jesus-y things. Um, and, you know, because this is where God uses us, right? In this place. So I'm doing these things. I go home. And man, you know, Aaron and I, we, we just moved into our neighborhood about a year ago. And we really want to talk to our neighbors and reach our neighbors. We've been brainstorming stuff like... A, you know, chili bar or, uh, you know, coffee and tea and dessert night. We invite everybody. And it's like, well, who should we invite? Should we invite this first? Let's invite everybody. And, and we'll just get to know them. And big, 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 big events, you know. And we, every day we kind of kick ourselves. We're like, man, we're lame Christians. We, we're trying to, you know, we, we haven't put on any like big coffee event or, or beer event or whatever for our neighbors. We're horrible people. And so we're kind of doing this. Well, I get home from church and I'm Need to clean my garage. And we've been talking to neighbors like crazy. We've been talking about vacations. We've been talking about, you know, kids and this and that. So I go home. I know that I have to bring order to chaos. That that's God's calling for me that day. Bring order to chaos in my garage. So I start cleaning my garage. Putting stuff on the driveway. Well, guess who's out there trimming the hedges? My neighbor. So I start talking with him. And it turns out we get in this conversation about where you've been, what you've done. They just got back from a funeral of their niece who died of cystic fibrosis. All of a sudden, I am deeper in my neighbor's life than I have ever been trying to do these big event things just because I knew that I needed to be faithful and try to clean out my garage It's often while we're going about the small and the ordinary that God opens our eyes. And my eyes weren't even open. I wasn't even looking for an opportunity to talk to my neighbor. I paid attention. You know, something, hey, he's out there. Okay, let's talk. I don't even, th I think he even initiated the conversation. I don't even think I was bold enough to initiate the conversation. Y'all are like, you're a church planner, really? Um, but faithfulness in the small and the ordinary is often all God's called us to for a season. See, I've cleaned out my garage many times or gone faithfully to work every time. And that's kingdom, that's my kingdom work for the day, isn't it? It's not that talking to my neighbor was more spiritual than cleaning out my garage because Jesus is with me. No matter what I do, I just have to pay attention and I have to put my nets down where Jesus is working Instead of always asking, oh, how have you called me? Where have you come? Can you use me? Can you use me? Can you use me? Right here. Talk to your neighbor. So all of it's kingdom work. So the key is to see Jesus in both, to see God working in both, the ordinary, the extraordinary. Now notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, row over there because somebody needs me over there. Hey, 
Put your anchor down and start praying for people. He shows them who he is in terms of the everyday. He, he, he shows them in terms of fish. He uses fish to preach the gospel to them. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? So remember, all of our work is kingdom work, but all of our attempts at kingdom work won't work apart from Jesus. All of our work is kingdom work, but all of our attempts at kingdom work won't work apart from Jesus. Jesus is going to give Peter a new calling by the end of chapter 21. We're not there yet. But after this encounter with Jesus, even if Jesus would have continued to call him as a fisherman, he would have become a fisherman who now fishes with Jesus. And he would have fished like never before with a sense of calling and purpose. So his disciples are fishing. They finally notice. They pay attention. Peter abandons the boat. Bandits the fish, throws himself in the water, and he, notice he puts his clothes on. Come on, Peter. It says he's stripped for work, and it mentions that he puts his clothes on because it's strange. So Peter was the guy, in this kind of fishing, Peter was the guy who would have to dive down and get the fish out of the nets and bring him back up. So he's stripped for work. So he's been in the water all day, so it makes no sense that he puts his clothes on. But why does he do that? It would have been strange to put his clothes on to get in the water, but it would have been very appropriate to put his clothes on to meet and talk with a rabbi. That's what you did. So all of a sudden, Peter, now it's student teacher again with Jesus. So for a moment, he's excited. He says, hey, there's Jesus on the shore. He's going to use me again. He's going to call me. He's going to start this ministry again. Then he realized, oh, wait, the denying that's right. Okay. Put my clothes on. We're back to student and rabbi here. All right. I'm excited to see him, but I know how he's going to treat me. Because I'm a denier. See, again, he assumes Jesus isn't there and Jesus wouldn't be there because of my sin. He jumps in the water. He gets on the beach. The other disciples say, hey, Peter, just in case Jesus doesn't really want you back, do you want us to hang on to these fish? No, they don't say that. So they stay with the fish. Peter jumps in the water. And he comes up on shore. What does he smell? What does he see? Charcoal fire. Darn it. We're doing this. Remember the last time he saw a charcoal fire? At the door with the servant girl when he denied Jesus three times. I guess we're talking about this, Jesus. So it would have been more natural for Jesus to, to collect wood on the beach, but he makes sure he brings some charcoal. He makes a fire. So Peter comes up out of the water in all his zeal, trying to cover himself up with his garments. Jesus isn't going to let it work. He's confronted as soon as he gets out of the water with his sin and his failure, like my missionary application. So we're going to actually talk more about this next week. This is our topic for next week, so we won't camp out on it this week. See what I did there? Campfire. Um, sorry. But here's a cool thing. The word for charcoal, this charcoal fire is only mentioned two times in the New Testament. Once when Peter denies Jesus and once here on the beach. So that's a little teaser. So come back next week. I hear it's going to be great. Um, so Peter comes up on the beach and he gets a confrontation from Jesus. Peter, we got to deal with this. But he gets an invitation, doesn't he? Come have breakfast. Wow. 
That's how God works. Confrontation, invitation, challenge, invitation. He loves us too much. He loves Peter. He loves us too much to just leave us how we are. We'll talk about that next week. He loves us too much to leave us how we are. So, yeah, he's with us. Yeah, he's, he's in the ordinary. He, he calls us out in the middle of that. But he loves us too much to just use us to get work done. He cares about our sin. He cares about our brokenness. And he will deal with it. So we'll see that next week. So as we end today, what do we, what do, we do with all this? The question we started with, can God really use me? Can God really use you? Yes, he can. But remember, that's not the right question. The question is, are we waiting on God to act or is God waiting on us to pay attention? So what do we do? First, we need to realize that sometimes it may seem like we are waiting on God to work in big and different ways when in reality, God is waiting on us to notice how he is using us in the small and ordinary ways. Second, we need to pay attention because it is when we are being faithful in the ordinary that God has called us to every day that we notice Jesus on the shore. The ordinary is kingdom work as much as the extraordinary. So what is God doing that you can join into in your vocation, in what you're about day to day? What's he doing in your business, at your school, in those suppliers, those overseas suppliers that come to your business once in a while? What's he doing in their lives? What's he doing in your office workers' lives, in your classmates, the person with the locker next to you, the person on your sports team, the moms in your neighborhood? What's he doing in their lives? What's God doing here at Deer Creek? See, our greeters, our ushers, our coffee bar people, they don't just put on a smile and say hi and pour coffee. They are the first experience of the risen Christ that people get to see when they walk in the door. I love those guys. God is working in the everyday here at Deer Creek. What he's doing downstairs with Go Kids and the lives of your kids. Can we join into that? Now, the great thing about serving at Deer Creek is we get to do it in community. And community always clarifies calling. Because people that you serve alongside say, I'm going to jump into some of this stuff that's going on. I'm going to see if God can use me. And the guy next to you is being like, eh, you might want to check out, you know, this over here. You're not, you're not so good at this in a loving way. Or they might say, wow, I really see God using you in this everyday thing right here. So community clarifies our calling. So never think that you have to do things alone. So Josh mentioned on, on uh, this coming Saturday, July 29th, we're doing a, a community service day. We're beautifying parks right here in the area. We're not hosting a big tent revival. We're not preaching on a street corner. We're cutting down trees. We're, we're helping paint some things. We're helping the city. That's kingdom work. But while we're doing it as Deer Creek Church, as followers of Jesus, we can pay attention. Maybe people are looking on. Maybe people are saying, why would somebody give up a Saturday to do this? Now, if not, that's okay. We're still stewarding God's creation. Jesus is still working in that every day of beautifying our parks. But you never know. Join in. So can God really use you? Wrong question. He is using you. Be faithful. Pay attention. So let me close with this. I know you thought I was done. Almost. But I just want to talk about capacity because capacity with six kids. Are my kids in here? Because I don't want to offend them. I think they're all downstairs. 
With six kids, I have to talk about capacity. It's where I live every single day. So I just want to end with a brief word. So verse 11 says, even though there were so many fish, the net didn't break. Now, the fact that the text mentions that the net didn't break probably means the net should have broken. But it was miraculously prevented from breaking by Jesus himself. And here's why we have to talk about capacity, because sometimes I'm afraid of God's calling because I'm already so maxed out. So I want to ask him, I want to say, God, call me into something, call me. But secretly I'm like, oh my gosh, don't because I'm so maxed out right now. Why? Well, that's because a lot of times we see what we're already doing is unimportant to God. And all I can think about is adding something to what I'm doing that's really big and important. And that makes us feel like we don't have capacity for God. We don't have capacity to follow him to do anything more. But God may not, want it, may not be wanting you to add anything. He just wants you to pay attention to your calling that you're about every day. And even when he's ready, and, and if, if he's ready, when he's ready, and wants you to do something big or extraordinary, even though seven of you couldn't handle it on your own, Jesus will make sure your nets will not break. Because even your capacity is from him. Isn't that crazy? So the capacity he's given you, low or high, that is from him. He knows what you're about. He knows what he's called you to. So even your capacity is from him. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we haven't even mined the depths of these verses um, as far as we could go. And God, I thank you that we are kingdom men and women. For those of us in this room who, who call you Lord, who follow you, that you have blessed us with our vocation. You have blessed us with the small and ordinary. And God, I pray that we would never, ever say, I am going out to fish as a cry of disappointment. But say, I am going out to fish. I'm going out to do whatever it is you've called me to do with a sense of urgency, with a sense of gratitude. And God, I pray that we would notice you where you are working in our day-to-day -day and stop looking and scanning and seeing, hey, could you call me to something different? Could you call me to something big? Could you call me to something exciting? But look down on the right side of our boats and see that you are already working and that we would join you there. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.